Welcome to Orbit, the HG podcast series where we speak to leaders and innovators from across software and tech ecosystem to discuss the key trends that change how we all do business. My name is Tim Harrison. I'm part of the data analytics team at HG, working with our portfolio companies on their end-to-end data journey across commercial and operational optimization and data products. We're delighted to be joined today by Tristan, CEO and founder of DBT Labs, a leading B2B SaaS company in the data transformation space, used by over 11,000 companies, including many HG portfolio companies as well. Tristan recently spoke at HG's 2023 Digital Forum in London, and it's great to be catching up again a couple of weeks later. Thanks for joining us, Tristan. Welcome. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Nice. Um, Well, to start, Tristan, I think it would be great uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and DBT Labs and and the journey, um, starting with Fish Analytics there as well. Yeah, uh, I have been a data practitioner in some way, shape or form for right about 20 years now. Um, and I, I won't bore you with my entire story, but I, I maybe starting back in 2013, I worked at a company called RJ metrics and RJ metrics was a, uh, a BI tool that was positioned to be very successful at the time, but was built in a, uh, technology architecture that predated what we now have come to know as the modern data stack. And so in, I, I joined that company in 2013 and uh, it just so happens that uh, right about when I joined, um, Amazon released a product called Redshift, which was really the first uh, cloud native uh, analytical database. You could uh, swipe a credit card and, and pay by usage. Um, and this this really changed the industry. Um, it, it was the the first time that you could see the the kind of performance that you got from Redshift without you know spending a hundred grand on an appliance that you had to store in a server room somewhere. Um, and very quickly uh, over the course of the the next couple of years, lots of small startups uh, seeing this opportunity, uh, they they emerged to kind of uh, cre- create a, a full stack solution originally around Amazon Redshift and companies like um, Mode and Looker and Fivetran were all born in this environment and they all saw this same opportunity. And over the subsequent years, uh, I mean, uh, the, partially this impacted me because RJ Metrics uh, quickly kind of uh, because of this architectural shift, RJ Metrics become became less competitive as a product, and uh, that's its own story. And you know, maybe we can talk about that at some point if it's interesting. But I got to see uh, firsthand uh, the the emergence of this stack of of products, um, and and I was excited about it as a as a practitioner. Um, I, I was like, you know, for the first time, uh, I can I can kind of not worry about. Uh, performance in the way that I used to, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, using Excel or traditional Oracle database or MySQL, like I've, I've done analytics in all these different environments and you always ran into these performance limitations that were so like, they're not your highest value add as an analytics professional thinking about this kind of stuff. And so I was really excited to, to use this new technology. And, and I started an analytics consultancy in 2016 called Fishdown Analytics 
to uh, to really just to hang out a shingle and do work in this new tech stack. And you know, I can get to the DBT story as well, but let me stop there and like uh, to tell me if I'm I'm boring you so far. No, I think that's really interesting, <laughs> and I think it, it it ties so nicely into one of the first topics I really want to discuss, which is you know what is that modern data stack that we we all talk about now and i often go, often get asked that question by our portfolio companies ceo ctos what what is that modern data stack and even though i've been working in in data quite a while now it's it's actually quite a hard question to answer because it's so entangled with the history it's got that word modern um but one thing that always is uh discussed when you talk about that modern data stack is dbt uh, you know it's a core component there that, that fits into um what people see as the modern data stack so so where better to ask than hear your perspective on what really is that modern data stack and how did we get here um and what have you seen of that journey so a lot of people get get wrapped around the axle on the term modern uh that i live in a house that is of a style called mid-century modern. And this style was mostly popular in the 1940s and 1950s, maybe maybe up through 60s, but, but like there's an era that is associated with mid-century modern and the Eames chair and everything. Um, we still call it that today, even though it's now uh, of a period that has, has passed. Um, and and why, the reason that we that it was called modern at the time and why we still use that is because um, it was in reaction to uh, architectural patterns that had existed beforehand. And so it, it was a statement of like, we're doing something new here architecturally. And uh, the modern data stack is, is the same way. It, it was something that was in reaction to that which came before. And really there were two things that came before it. Um, one was the era of the kind of the, the enterprise data appliance, uh, Netiza, uh, you know, th these, these products where like you literally, uh, if, if you needed high performance analytical computing, uh, you, you called up a vendor and they shipped you a box and you, you installed it. And, um, th these, these products were, I mean, they're screaming fast and, um, you know, really represented a state of the art uh, for, for for that era. The problem was they completely and totally lacked any sense of elasticity. Um, so, and of course, they're very expensive. Um, so, so they were inaccessible to most companies. And for the large enterprises that could could afford them, um, the the name of the game was this like uh, constant governance of who got to run workloads on this thing because there was only so much horsepower to allocate. And so you're always fighting over, you know, when, when you were going to run things and, you know, that people stayed late at night to kick off their job in the middle of the night when no one else was using the, the resource. Um, so that's obviously not, not good. And we know from the cloud today that that's, that's like a kind of an anti-pattern. Um, uh, the, the other thing that, that the modern data stack is in, in, um, opposition to is was the Hadoop, Hadoop ecosystem. So mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of good things about Hadoop, but uh, at, at the end of the day, the architectural complexity was too high and it, it just needed uh, to, to be uh, owned and operated by a very uh, experienced set of uh, folks internally. And it, it just never was able to be made uh, turnkey and user-friendly. Um, so what would you have the modern data stack? Well, it's, uh, it's elastic. It's kind of all based around the cloud data warehouse. Um, it speaks SQL. 
Um, so it's very accessible to large numbers of people. Um, and, and it doesn't really require um, any real uh, like performance tuning or operational complexity in order to, to make it all work. And that's really interesting, that piece there around seeing those large enterprise data architectures, but then also the, the Hadoop movement. One piece you're saying there was really sort of barrier to entry in terms of how easy it is to set up on the modern data stack now. And when I look at some of our portfolio companies, you know, you can really get that platform in, in days or weeks operating. With Hadoop, that just wasn't really possible when it got down into the nitty gritty details. There was just more barriers to entry, more technical complexity there. Um, yeah, and I, I think that you can um, you can think about this from the perspective of project failure. So um, it was not uncommon for quote unquote big data projects to actually result in failure. Like they they never produced business value. Um, and that just doesn't really happen with the modern data stack. Like uh, it, it is so turnkey um, and, and so much uh, the value comes kind of out of the box with pre-built integrations and all, you know, Yes, is it is it hard to if if you have an existing set of uh, SQL stored procedure workloads in a in a data warehouse appliance? Does it take work to migrate them over into a modern data stack uh, native approach? Like it it does take work. There's there's real uh, projects to be done there, but um, it we just don't like in my entire now almost seven year uh, history with the modern data stack, I've never seen a project just totally go sideways and fail to produce any business value. Which is a good thing, I guess. That's a core part now is on bringing more data value to these businesses and uh, one, reducing that risk, but also, I guess, increasing that iteration cycle. Is that where it's coming yes. from? Is that why that re reduction in, in risk and reduction in failure rate is happening? Um, I, I think that, I think that it is, uh, we're operating at a higher level of abstraction. And so that means that the platforms are able to uh, take care of more of the complexity for you. And um, and at this point, the, the main uh, data platforms, whether you're talking about Snowflake or BigQuery or Redshift or, or Databricks uh, or others, uh, these are all pretty mature mm. products. Um, you know, I when I hang out with my co-founders, Drew and Connor, we like to reminisce about how um, it was actually not that hard to produce like uh, fatal errors in Redshift back in 2016. Like you could do it using a sequence of uh, SQL statements that like should have operated normally, but in fact, you would get a response that said something like cluster restarting. Um, <laughs> but like we, these products are now very mature. They've had a long time to bake. They've, they've, they're very widely used and and so uh, you can you could show up to them and expect that you're going to get a consistent uh, turnkey approach. That's really um, interesting to hear about how much maturity has improved there. But coming back to that piece around what is the modern data stack, I think that um, piece around modern really resonates, that there's been a paradigm shift, something new has come, that's why we refer to it as modern. With the rest now, when you're explaining to potential customers or, or others, what, what do you describe the modern data stack as now? Is it that set of turnkey components? And I guess that modularity is also a big part of it, right? It's no longer one vendor that serves you the whole solution, that there's lots of different components that have quite precise functions that connect together. Yeah, and this is a, this is a, 
thing that's being debated inside the the ecosystem right now um there's a there's a modularity pendulum and mm-hmm. on one side you have kind of the the ecosystem that existed back when i began my career in in 2003 where you had these kind of two big ecosystems you had the oracle ecosystem and the microsoft ecosystem and Oracle and Microsoft at the time were these like very vertically integrated uh, enterprise software uh, suites, and uh, you were you kind of built your skill set in one or the other, and it was very hard to cross between those ecosystems. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, reasons that I, I think that's not the best place to be. I think it, it eliminates practitioner choice and all this stuff, but it does create a certain level of clarity around how do you construct a a best of breed application like you mm-hmm. you know if you're in the oracle ecosystem well here are the components that you purchase whatever um today uh we have gone very far on the other end of the pendulum which is uh to be very best of breed and and certainly the data platforms are are kind of at the center of this and and maybe there's uh four to six that that are uh, really dominant today um, but then you have uh, these other major categories. So uh, the the first one that many people think about is data ingestion. So you got to get data into the cloud data platform in the first place. Um, then there's the place that we play, data transformation. DBT has become a pretty big standard in in this layer. Uh, but there's other ways to do it too. Um, and then there's there's all these other categories: data observability, data lineage, data cataloging. Uh, you know, uh, you could, if if you were, uh, and certainly like analytics and BI, uh, kind yes. of on the rightmost part of the diagram. Um, but if, if you were motivated to do so, you certainly could put together a quote unquote modern data stack uh, that had twenty different components to it, and uh, that is probably not the right answer either. It's it's just uh, a lot to manage. And do you feel that we are at that? Um that maximum of the pendulum in terms of the unbundling? Do you think there is going to be a, a tendency, maybe one either to choosing the, the smaller number of core components so that, okay, you, you need that for that data stack, you need the data ingestion, you need the transformation, you need the analytics. And I think that's something I've personally seen quite a bit is then once you've started to go to three or four vendors there, and then you start to say, okay, well, what else do we need? Like as that list gets to 15, 20 vendors, right? It becomes quite hard to manage and you need to focus on what are the core, or do you think there's going to be a bit of a, a bundling in terms of looking at uh, some of the bigger players and uh, bringing some of those tool suites together? Um, so I don't know if um, your listeners tend to listen to the same set of podcasts that I do, but uh, <laughs> I find myself uh listening to many different podcasts that right now that talk a lot about soft landings in, in uh, you know, uh, when you're talking about inflation rates and interest rates and all of this stuff. And so the question there is like, are we able to uh, pull inflation back to a target zone without, uh, without causing a, a large recession in, in the global economy? And so I think that what what I really want to to see happen in the modern data stack is not for the pendulum to like 
swing hard back in the other direction and and see us uh, back at this place where you know you're either in mm-hmm. uh, vendor A ecosystem or in vendor B ecosystem. Uh, but 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 instead to have this like soft landing in the middle where I don't know what the right answer is. Maybe it's maybe it's four, maybe it's six but, uh, sets of uh, modular components that that you wire together. Um, but I think that's on the infrastructure side. So I think that one of the, the really important things is that there's a there's a difference between data infrastructure and data applications. And I really think that the most um, the, the the modern data stack is is mostly an infrastructure phenomenon. Um, and that infrastructure can feed data to, a very wide variety of data applications. And I don't actually think that there is a quote unquote correct number of data applications. I think that there could be as many as you want or, or need. Now, I think there should be a fairly standard set of pipes that supply all of that data, but you could imagine just for internal analytics, you could imagine um, having a very notebook-based product, a spreadsheety product. Uh, you could you could have a, a kind of classic drag-and-droppy BI product, and all those three would kind of coexist nicely, depending on the user personas and what you're trying to create. And then there's a whole set of you know how do you deliver uh, analytical experiences to your customers. There's there's uh, also uh, are there kind of more integrated not generic like horizontal analytics, but like more verticals. Maybe there's, uh, you know, CRM analytics that that you buy that is plugged into the modern data stack, but but is purpose built for like CRM. Anyway, I think there's a the potential for like many of those different kinds mm-hmm. of applications, but but only a reasonably constrained number of data infrastructure products. So really thinking of it as the the core components of the modern data stack and those infrastructure components versus the whole suite of applications that have sort of end use cases or sort of um, particular end users that are driving value from that underlying modern data stack. 100%. Nice. Uh, And maybe touching on that piece there around how the modern data stack's being used. um, I think a really interesting piece you brought up at the forum uh, last week was how at the moment the modern data stack primarily is being used for cross businesses analytics, right? It's driving that primarily batch, but not always batch um, reporting, commercial and operational optimization. Um, and one piece that you've been looking at is seeing how that is shifting now towards more actual sort of operational use cases and automating workflows and uh, different business, uh, different functions in the business. Where did you see that coming from, and where, where did that originate from you, uh, in, in, from a DBT perspective? Um, so, this I don't think anybody uh, got into the you know the, those of us who who are, have have built technologies in in the modern data stack. I don't think that we originally got into this uh, to to. Uh, automate revenue recognition, for example. Um, most products are created by people who are trying to solve their own problems, and and most of these, most of us created those products because we were trying to solve data analysis use cases. Um, but over time, as you build up this infrastructure that uh, services um, analytics use cases, you realize that 
this these pipes contain effectively all of the important information in your entire company. And there's already this commercial motivation to uh, on the vendor side and on the com company side, the, the customer side, um, to, to make these pipes more and more reliable. Um, and so you, you uh, reliable and, and also like uh, more real time. Um, and, and so over time, um, you start asking, well, gosh, we've got this increasingly sophisticated set of infrastructure. Why don't we do more stuff with it? <laughs> and it turns out that the, the like stuff that you can do with it um, is kind of like limit all data-driven things that a business does. Like, so in the past, uh, we have used CDPs, customer data platforms, that kind of have their own data stores. Um, they, they have to kind of collect and process their, their own data. Um, but increasingly, CDPs are seeing themselves as operating on top of the modern data stack. You've, you've got all of your customer data in one place. Like, why wouldn't you use that to trigger customer communications? Um, you, uh, you know, in, in the past, you would uh, do all kind of um, uh, financial, you know, I mentioned RevRec before. You, you would do that purely inside of a, a system purpose-built for, for that, whether that's a, a system like a, Azura or whether it's more like a, a NetSuite. Um, but but it, when you already have all the data together inside of the modern data stack, it, it becomes uh, possible to, to actually do it better more effectively when in that context. And when you say better and more effectively, is that because at the moment those tasks are essentially, you know, there are teams of people manually going through these pieces of doing these tasks and then extracting data from one system, uploading it to another, um, flicking through Google Sheets and Excel trackers. And it's, it's those pieces that you see, those operational pieces that actually can start to be um, automated now better with the modern data set? So inevitably, and, and if, if you stay purely in the, the realm of analytics, um, th this holds true as well. So, so it used to be that uh, web analytics, because the, the, uh, the demands of web analytics were so significant, uh, you know, page view data is very big data. Um, it, it used to be that you used purpose-built web analytics tools to, to just do web analytics. And, and that, you know, Google Analytics is kind of the, the, the 800 pound gorilla there, but there are, there are other products too. Um, and, but then what you find yourself doing as you get more and more sophisticated in your use of these tools, is you realize, oh gosh, I wanna be able to break down uh, the people that visited this page based on some attribute that my CRM knows about, but my web analytics tool doesn't know about. And so, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go build a pipeline to get this data from my CRM over into Google Analytics. And, and the minute that you build that first pipeline, you end up realizing, holy crap, I, I need 20 more of those things. <laughs> and so, so very quickly, it just, you know, talking about web analytics, you find yourself integrating data from all over the place to, to get to it. And these, these pipelines become uh, very fragile and often 
not, not well-maintained. Um, there's not like a clear function of the business that's responsible for making sure they continue to be high quality. And, and so we've moved web analytics over into the modern data stack and you use the same set of tools to do web analytics that you do with anything else. I think the same thing has started to and, and will increasingly play out inside of um, operational use cases like, like RevRack or com customer communications too. You just find that any one given system, if it doesn't have all of the data related to that workflow, um, you either need to push all the data to it, which then it becomes a copy of your data warehouse, mm. or you have to treat your data warehouse as the source of truth. So it's actually, it is that piece of um, having one single source of truth where all the data exists in the same system, the less you connect it. And I think it's very, really interesting you bring up that uh, web analytics because um, the product telemetry, we actually had Yali Sassoon um, from mm. Snowplow uh, on, on our We, our we use Snowplow internally. I'm a big fan. Ah, excellent. Yeah. And I, one thing we've really um, liked as we've seen it used at portfolio companies is that integration with DBT and not exactly as you said there that we're now collecting this granular uh, customer behavior, uh, product telemetry data, but Hey, we can also join that up to firmer graphic signals in CRM or in different data sets in that single customer 360 view. And that's where really that power of, of bringing those data sets together comes from. So is that, sorry, go ahead. I think there's an efficiency play here where it's like, uh, when you construct these pipelines, well, you eliminate a lot of manual work and, and that's great. Efficiency should, should, uh, is, is, is always a priority, but there, like you use the word power. And I think that that is, um, uh, that is kind of this unrealized, uh, aspect of this transition as well. So when you talk to people who, um, have spent their careers in biz ops or finance or th th these parts of the, or, or like marketing ops, they, they have this filter that they go through where, where, um, you say, hey, I'd really like to send an email to all of our customers that have the follow. And the, the first thing that the, this thought passes through in these professionals' brains, and rightly so, is uh, can my tools support that? And, and you know, I want to recognize revenue in the following way. Can my tools support that? And the the wonderful thing of and you used to ask this question all the time with Google Analytics and and it's why it's one of the reasons I was so excited to start a an analytics consultancy in the modern data stack because I knew that when you moved all of these things over into the modern data stack all of a sudden a customer could ask you a question and you would always be able to answer sure of course I could do that so like there's no like you don't have to know the limitations of GA. Snowplow will let you do anything because you can just write the code to do it and et cetera. It's really um, powerful there. And I guess that's, that is that piece about sort of enabling and empowering those teams uh, to have, what, I guess, more autonomy in the yes. questions they're asking. Um, so seeing that transition uh, from analytics, uh, of, uh, sorry, modern data being used for analytics, and now you're seeing that piece more even operationally and, and web analytics to even more uh, commercial operational optimization uh, pieces. Uh, one other area that I know uh, was a topic at the forum was also about seeing how uh, the role of the modern data stack is, is, is forming for customer-facing data products itself. So customer-facing BI solutions that might sit on top of um, the sort of unique and proprietary data that software companies are sort of uh, are developing. Um, 
Where do you see that playing? Have you started to see within DBT that your customers are using it for that customer facing data products already, or is that a new area? They do. Um, and it's an area, honestly, that the, the tech is not quite as mature in, but, um, uh, but, but real customers are putting real applications into production today. Um, the, uh, I think that there's, so, so kind of the existing BI tools that you would use to, to accomplish internal use cases often also have an embedded uh, version that you can kind of use to, to serve customer use cases. But, but again, these tools were uh, primarily created to service internal Channel. use cases originally. And so the embedded use cases are probably not quite as good of a fit. Now, I'm not saying that you can't create good things there, but, but they're not quite as good of a fit. So I think that there's uh, interesting, uh, and I'm not going to be able to remember company names off the top of my head, but, but I've seen some companies that are like purpose-built, uh, new startups purpose-built for this. Um, but then there's also the um, data processing requirements. And... Um, you can, again, uh, build customer-facing applications on top of the same data platforms that I mentioned earlier. Um, but by and large, these data platforms are optimized. The, the reason that they're so magical is that they're optimized for large-scale processing, but um, uh, lower concurrency. Um, mm -hmm. And so when you uh, when you turn around and want to uh, allow your customers to query their data, all of a sudden the data set shrinks. And so the large scale processing isn't quite as relevant and the concurrency spikes because now you've got all your customers hitting it. Um, and so the, the design considerations for these databases are not quite the same as you might want for that use case. Mm -hmm. And so there, there are solutions, you know, some companies actually use the, the cloud data platforms to kind of do the uh, large scale processing in, in the pipeline. And then they dump it out to a, honestly, like a, a Postgres or something. There are also um, kind of caching solutions that are being early stage, but being built to kind of act as this layer for um, these type of applications. And they kind of will, will plug right into um, a, a cloud data platform and kind of act as a concurrency or caching layer. That's really interesting because I guess, um, you know, we're seeing this as a, a very important area of, of those customer facing data products. And uh, one piece that I, I think I'd certainly notice is there's still maturity uh, that needs to come on what you called the right-hand side of the diagram with those sort of actual mm -hmm. BI analytics tools on, on getting those ready for embedding or, you know, that, um, a tool that may be a fantastic BI tool for internal use cases and gets the job done is actually can be quite different once you have a, you know, product managers and teams and real customers who have specific requirements. But actually there's also some of those key components in the middle of the, the modern data stack on the, uh, the, the infrastructure side, the database that actually also need to be potentially tuned and tweaked as we increase uh, those customer facing use cases also. But this is going to happen. It's, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, m more people, poking around at it. And, uh, you know, as always, early adopters are going to get there first and they're going to uh, drive some startups through the, the uh, product market fit process. So, so whether or not this is like 
on your you know 2023 roadmap um i'm i'm highly confident that everybody's going to be doing this in the next few years yeah well then conscious of the time i think uh, given how much i listen to your your fantastic analytics engineering podcast i think you ask mm -hmm. a very similar question at the end um but I, I've, I've maybe given it a slight twist on, on what we've talked about is where do you see the modern data stack going yourself in the next five to ten years both from a dbt perspective but also maybe more more broadly in that that whole uh data stack um i th i think that we're as as a, an industry we're exiting from the period of uh early experimentation into a period of uh maturity um uh, but we're, we're probably still early in that period of maturity. Um, so here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, back in um, you know, 2016, 17, 18, uh, companies that I would work with as on a consulting basis uh, would just be so excited by the capabilities that this new technology uh, provided. And it was just like, hell yeah, let's, let's go there. Um, and, and now, Many of those same companies have three, four, five-year-long investments in the, this technology, and the the technology itself is is fundamentally working very well, even at that stage, and it's it's scaling with you know every. But uh, what I think that we are grappling with as an industry is uh, complexity. Once you've spent years operating in the modern data stack, you've, you've rolled out more and more workflows, you've gotten more and more developers involved in the process. Um, and, and you find yourself uh, needing to keep track of and govern and, and uh, uh, all of these, these things that you're now supporting in production, whether that's production for internally facing use cases or externally facing. Um, so I think that uh, the, the entire uh, ecosystem is is going through this process of like how do we allow everyone to uh, all all our our users to to scale complexity over time and and honestly I think that as we develop better and better answers for that it is going to enable more and more mission critical uses for this technology so I, I'm I'm excited about it that's really um, is very exciting and one piece I think that's important there is um, I, I was uh talking with our, our data team and we were talking about the, the modern data stack and, and the role of dbt actually is what we, what we do when we sit around and have lunch together and uh, <laughs> uh one piece we, we said is you know what is it why do we think dbt's done so well why do we like using it compared to you know uh, the different tools we have a whole range of experience in the team and one thing um we said is actually what it's doing is bringing some software engineering best practices mm -hmm. to what is a, frankly a, a less mature area of data and i sort of have experience uh, as a software engineer for a short time and you know if you go and tell them oh yeah you know we needed to put it all in code and use version control and have sort of uh traceable lineages uh, and um build jobs they'd go like you weren't doing that already you know <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and i think that's and so a dbt has been a part of the story of this uh increasing ability to handle complexity because of the software engineering best practices that we brought but there's stuff that isn't uh isn't yet possible or or uh, you can kind of get at it, but it's not a, not a good experience yet uh, inside of DBT that that we want to push the boundaries on too. So, uh, if 
if you look at, um, and I'll, I'll keep this short, but you could, if you tune me up on this, I'll talk about it for an hour. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, if you look at the history of software engineering, uh, originally, uh, all work was done by heroic individuals and, and then we, that was no longer enough. And, and we, uh, kind of threw a bunch of software engineers at a problem and just said, like, make it, make it work. And what ended up coming out of that were these very, and this is in the like late nineties, early two thousands, these like monolithic software code bases that were very hard to maintain because of their complexity. Every, it, it became very hard to make changes to them and know what was going on in there. And so the entire industry moved towards a service oriented approach. So the classic like two pizza team <laughs> owns their own code and exposes interfaces to other teams to, to make use of their functionality. And this is mostly a foreign concept in data still. And um, one of, but, but, but like at the end of the day, uh, building software is about people. It's about enabling people to do great work. And um, we think that that that's going to be the next evolution of of dbt's enabling this more service oriented approach to designing data workflows that really resonates and um, also equally very exciting to see not only where dbt goes but the modern data stack and i think also very uh nice to see that when answering that question about where we're going in the next five to ten years the answer wasn't uh, all about uh, generative ai and gpt <laughs> <laughs> but... You can get a lot smarter people to talk about that than me. <laughs> no, um, we really appreciate you having you on the podcast, Tristan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun.